So whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, I'll be singing when the evening comes. We're talking today from the book of Revelation, ending our Raise the Praise series with four messages from this last book of the Bible, which is all about Jesus. We've been singing about Jesus, focusing on Jesus in the song service today. We are Jesus people here at First Baptist New Orleans. We believe He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus, except through Him. These are His own words as He talks in John chapter 14. So we are focused on Jesus as the exclusive way to the Father, as the one sent from God to save us. And we are focused now in the book of Revelation on the church, which needs encouragement. Times have been tough, and people need to receive instruction and strength from Jesus, from the Spirit. And so the Spirit sends this revelation to John in order that there may be grace and peace in the church, and the church may receive its strength in the time of testing. So, if you have some pain in your life and trouble in your life, if things aren't going your way or you feel like the world is falling apart, the book of Revelation is a great place for you to come to find encouragement and truth because that was the condition of the world in the first century. The church of Jesus Christ was under fierce attack. And the book of Revelation is written to encourage them to continue to lift their praises when times are tough and to look to Christ for their strength. I'm going to be in Revelation chapter 4. By the way, thanks to all of you who are writing your praises on the banners. We have 10 years since Hurricane Katrina. We decided we're going to raise the praise in these 10 years, and every year is represented out there since Hurricane Katrina. You can write your praises on those, and I notice that many of them are approaching full. We only have three weeks left, so before you leave today, go and do what you plan to do earlier. Write down your praises on the banners. By the way, you don't have to be a member of the church to write your praises. You got something to praise God about, go and put it on the banner, and we'll raise those banners all the way, all the way to the ceiling as we give God his due. I want you to join me in reading the last verse of this passage, okay? So when we get to verse 11, I want you to read it with me. This is Revelation chapter 4. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard first, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it, and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. 
Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, join me please, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Beautiful words of worship in the book of Revelation, which is for sure a book about worship. It's about raising the praise. It's about giving God his due. There is no one in earth or anywhere in this universe who is worthy of our praise except the one who sits upon the throne. And so we give him the glory and honor and praise that is due his name. We come to this building Sunday by Sunday as an event of worship. The people of God who trusted him come here to give him the honor and glory that is due his name. Chapters 4 and 5 are interesting. I'm going to preach from 5 next week. Someone said that chapter 4 is, you believe in God. And chapter 5 is, believe also in me. These are the words of Jesus from John 14. Believe in God, believe also in me. The text we read talks about how he created everything in heaven and on earth. This is the creator God who sits upon the throne. So we enter his presence in the spirit, knowing that the world is in trouble as it was in the days of John. John is on the Isle of Patmos where he has been exiled for his faith in Christ, his testimony concerning Jesus. They put him on this rock, this remote rock in the, in the sea uh, there in order to punish him for preaching the gospel and proclaiming the good news of Christ. And it is here on the Lord's day that he is in the spirit and has this vision of what God wants to do and is going to do and has done. What he has done, what he is doing and what he will do in the earth. The first chapter he has this vision of Jesus. A wonderful startling vision of the Lord of glory. In the second and third chapters, we have these seven letters to the churches. John hears them spoken by the Lord of the church, and he writes out these seven letters to the churches. When you are through reading the seven letters to the churches, your first thought may be, oh my, 
Oh, goodness. The church is in trouble. And so it seems. From the first church, the Lord says to this church, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent, or I'm going to come and take the lampstand out of its place unless you repent. That's the first letter to the seven churches. And in succession, the churches seem to be in trouble, one after the other. They have opportunities. Some of them do some good work, but many of them are rebuked for the condition in which the Lord of the church finds them until you get to letter seven where here we have a church that seems to be rich and, in, and increased in goods and has need of nothing. And the Spirit says to this church, you don't even know that you're poor and wretched and blind and naked. It is this church where the famous verse is given. Jesus saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody opened the a door of the church, I'll come in. It's like this church has left Jesus out entirely. Are you worried about the church? I had a discussion this morning with someone who's worried about the church, the condition of the church in general. Maybe you come from a church that was feuding and fighting, and you've been disappointed by the difficulties you've encountered in the church, the things you've seen, the things you've heard. You've noticed that God's people aren't perfect. And maybe you think this is only a current affliction of the church. Not so. If you are discouraged about the condition of the church, I invite you to the Isle of Patmos. To a rock in the Mediterranean Sea. To an old man named John who knew and walked with Jesus and spent a long life giving testimony to this truth, I invite you to this down here, which was so difficult for the old apostle, in exile, perhaps living in a cave, as tradition has it, on this rocky island. Down here is often hard and troublesome. The culture itself is often at war with the church as it was in the first century. And people look sometimes at the world and wonder what is going to happen to this old world so riven by conflict, difficulty, sin, and corruption. And then the church as well afflicted by its ills. That's why the Spirit says, Come up here. The Spirit says come up here because down here in the middle of this mess, things look pretty tough. And sometimes you think you are viewing ultimate reality in the middle of your pain, your sorrow, your suffering, your disappointment, the betrayal that you feel. You think this must be the way the universe is. That's why the Spirit says, the, the Lord Jesus, with a voice like a trumpet, says to his apostle, come up here. 
Look, I want us to be in the spirit. We need this. We need to come up here. We need to be transported as John the Apostle was. He wrote this out so that we would follow his own pilgrimage. Come up here. I want to show you something, John. I want to show you something, church, in the first century and the 21st century. I want you to see things from a different point of view. I was traveling by jet between Asuncion, Paraguay, and San Paulo some years ago. And when I got on the plane, I said to the flight attendant, please let me know when we go by Iguazu Falls, whatever side it is on, I want to look through the window and see those falls. They have 10 times the volume of Niagara Falls. In a thunderous roar, the South American continent pours its water from one plain to another at Iguazu Falls. How many of you have been there? All right, we got a few who have been there. Someday I want to go close enough to see the butterflies. But that particular day, the flight attendant said, I'm sorry, we don't go by the falls. You're not going to be able to see it. And I dropped dejected in my chair and I said, this is terrible news. I will never be back this way again in all probability. And here I am this close and I cannot see the falls. Tell the pilot I'm disappointed. <laughs> so the plane took off. And away we go to San Paulo. And in about 20 minutes, the flight attendant comes over. And she says, the pilot would like to see you in the cockpit. <laughs> By the way, this is a true story. All right? Young people, my stories are true, okay? So I go to the cockpit of this passenger jet. And the pilot says, come on up here. And he pushes me up between the chairs right into the window of the jet. He says, you got your camera? And I had my camera. And he banked his jet so I could take a picture of Iguazu Falls. I saw it from 10,000 feet. There is a way to see the falls that is up close and personal. And there's a way to see this magnificent falls from 10,000 feet that few people see. And I saw that day. Sometimes you need to come up here. And that's what the Spirit is doing with John. He's saying, come up here. I want you to see something. Some of you have been digging in the sands of the beaches, have you not? Some of you spent the whole summer on the beach. Can you think about how many grains of sand there is in a handful of sand? Did you build any sand castles? How many grains of sand is there in a single sand castle? If you could take it and throw it and scatter it in the sky, do you think that there'd be enough grains of sand for every star in the universe? The fact is, this universe is so large, there are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand 
on all the beaches of this planet. When Jesus says, come up here, he wants to give you a different perspective of the world, your situation, the church, and human history. He wants you to see it from the throne room. Down here, you see one thing. Up there, you see another. There is a sea of glass around the throne. John was encircled by the sea on the Isle of Patmos and it isolated him from all the churches and his friends. The sea of glass indicates how holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who sits in the center of the universe. The whole earth is full of his glory. He is unapproachable in his light and magnificence. Not a creature even close to his being in all of this universe. He alone is holy in this holiness that he possesses. He is distant and removed from us in his glory. And we cannot approach him by our own free will. No human being, no living presence in all this universe can simply walk up to the throne. Access must be granted in order for you to come across this great sea of glass and approach the magnificent throne where he sits encircled in the rainbow. Jesus bought you access. When he died upon the cross. And so today you can come boldly across the great sea to the throne in the center of the universe. Observe your future from this throne. Sometimes you extrapolate your current reality and believe that that's all the future. Observe your future from this throne with the sea of glass. For the throne is both far away, as the sea indicates, and very close, as the invitation announces. In the spirit, you come to the throne room, to the center of the universe. And from this perspective, you see how things really are in a world so vast with a God so great who created everything there is including you observe your future from here from this throne room some of you have sat at the feet of people who predicted chaos tribulation distress and the end of the world and you have read their books and seen their movies with fascination. And some of you have been very troubled by the predictions about the end of the world. I have been in your shoes. Over and over again over these years of ministry, I have heard the predictions. 1978. 1981. 
1988, I got the book, as four and a half million people did, by Edgar Wisenant, who said, there are 88 reasons why Jesus will come in 1988. And if it doesn't happen, the Bible is an error. Did you know he said that? In the year 1999, I was startled when a truck pulled into my driveway and unloaded $1,400 worth of survival equipment for me. <laughs> and the, the friend who brought it said, now do you have a gun? Because the world's about to come apart. This is the end. Y2K. Had a friend call me in 2010 and he said, David, this man has an earned doctorate. He said, David, I have been studying things. The planets are going to be aligning in an unusual way and the poles of the earth are going to be reversed and New Orleans is going to be under 600 feet of water. Get out now. That's what he told me. I said, I... You know, trying to determine your future by studying the planets, they have a name for that. It's astrology. There are signs in the heavens for sure. But we don't need to plan our future by how the planets are circulating. I visited Accra in West, in West Africa in 2011 and was surprised to find a billboard there that said... Jesus is coming back September 21, 2011. In the center of a crawl, a prophet in California who had unsuccessfully predicted the end of the world before, I've discovered, and did it once again before he died. And I suppose when he got up to heaven, the father pulled him over and said, didn't you ever read that scripture said, no one knows the time or the season? Which a father set by his own authority? Say, if you'd guessed it right by accident, I would have changed it. <laughs> Just for spite. <laughs> you know? We're not supposed to know. And every generation, including John's generation, has looked around and thought, man, things are a mess. Because that's the condition of man and the human race. And when I run into somebody who is stirred up and upset about the condition of the world, and they've lost their peace, and some of them feel like they're fulfilling the prophecy, men's hearts failing them for fear of the things that are coming on the earth, I think to myself, Lord, revelation begins with grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. It is not written to disturb our peace, but to help us go from down here to up here and see the great God who made it all and see the future from the throne room, that he is the one who is in control. You need to visit heaven. This is the throne in heaven. And in the spirit, just in your mind, transport yourself to heaven and know that God has prepared a place for those who love him and our future is secure in him 
And for those Christians who first read the book of Revelation, they are reading and they are seeing that God is still on the throne even though this evil Roman Empire is trying to exterminate them. And God is still on the throne even though they feel powerless in their world and they have no vote and they have no legislators. They have nobody in the powerful places of government and yet God is on the throne. It's like Isaiah in the temple as we've already read. It was the year that King Uzziah died and he was a good king. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and he died and God's people were distressed by his death and the throne was empty and when Isaiah went to the temple he saw the Lord seated on a throne high and lifted up. That's what worship does for you. You realize in the moment of worship the throne is not empty. God sits on the throne and he who made Everything there is will unfailingly bring about his purpose in this world. And you need not be distressed, disturbed, because God holds the future in his hands. And your future is heavenly. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'm going to come and get you. And take you with me to where I am. Jesus talked about heaven over and over. And he said, that's your destination. You follow me. And that's where you'll be. In the presence of God forever and ever. R.G. Lee was a famous pastor who led First Baptist Church for four years. I think he left in the year 1919 to go to Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. I have heard that this man who for many years served God here and lived a very long life on his deathbed said to his wife, whom he called mother, Mother, I see heaven and I never did it justice in my preaching. There are 600,000 words in the English language, but they fail us when we try to describe the future God has for us. It's beyond human language to describe the wonders of a future face to face with the Savior. Fanny J. Crosby wrote it. She was blind. Face to face with Christ, my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? Face to face when I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. Face to face. It's a reality that the Father's preparing for his children. I'm looking forward to it. I said to my dad, are you okay? Dad, of course, he was on his deathbed, and he said, David, it's just moment by moment. Moment by moment, I'm kept in his love. Moment by moment, I have life from above. Looking to Jesus till glory does shine. Moment by moment, oh Lord, I am thine. That's where we are. Heaven is real. It is a place... 
prepared for us as we follow Christ. And so we, like the elders in this throne room, take our crowns and cast them at Jesus' feet. We worship in the throne room just like they did. These crowns are golden crowns and I suppose they represent the rewards that these elders, perhaps the 12 patriarchs of the old covenant and the 12 apostles of the new covenant, they could be represented here. And they take their crowns and they lay them at the feet of the one on the throne because he alone is worthy to receive them all. And every good thing we do, he empowers us to do. Everything is a gift from him. Our life, our breath, our talents, our resources, our speech, our movement, our mind. It's all from him. And so he receives the crowns in worship. And they say as they lay their crowns before him, worthy are you. Worthy are you, O Lord. To receive glory, all the glory that I might get, I deflect to you. I want to let my light shine before men so that they may see good works and glorify the Father in heaven. That's what Jesus said. Let your light so shine before men they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. All glory to you, Father. I don't want any compliments, don't want any praise. Don't want any glory. It all goes to you. All the honor goes to you. You are worthy to receive all honor. If there's any honor in this life, any recognition, I deflect it to the Father God who created me. I lay it at his feet as part of the crown. All glory, all honor, all power to you. That's what worship is. Worship is you coming into this room and falling down before the God of this universe and in this very vulnerable position saying God I'm yours whatever you want not my will but thine everything I am every power that I have you are created in the image of God and God has carved out some power for you you do have some power you have volition you have will you have strength that he provides and when you give him all glory, honor, and power, you are saying to him, Lord, all the power that I have, I lay at your feet. My influence in my community, the words that I speak, the family that I lead, everything I'm laying it at your feet, God. Whatever you want done, that's what I want to do. All power unto you. When we come to the response time, it's your opportunity to lay all glory, honor, and power at the feet of the one who sits upon the throne. He created you. You are his by creation. He sent his son to save you. You are his by redemption. So all that we are, we lay at his feet. Bow with me, please. As we bow our heads, I ask you, so what is your act of worship to be in response to this vision of the throne room are you the one who has considered receiving Christ as Lord and crowning him within your own heart but you've not done so up to now
Maybe your act of worship today is to say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me for my sin. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. Lord Jesus, I ask you to save me and I receive you as Lord. Maybe you have received Christ as Savior, but you've got some things you've never surrendered to him. You've never laid him at his feet. You know you're in rebellion in these things. Maybe you've never publicly identified yourself as a follower of Jesus. You could do that in just a moment. You could come saying, you know, I've trusted Jesus as Savior, but I'm ready to be baptized and be a visible part of his church. Maybe God's been dealing with you about other things in your life that need to be laid at his feet. Maybe you want to come and pray in just a minute. Maybe you want to come and pray with one of us. We are ready to receive you. Lord, we pray today that our worship in this moment of response will be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray.